What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's happening, man? Man, glad to be here. Been looking forward to this all day. Usually we uh, often tape in the earlier part of the day. But, uh, yo, this is a nighttime taping, man, and we've got a lot to discuss. Yeah, and it's, 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 uh, it's, we haven't done this for a minute, man. We've been doing uh, interviews, which have been fantastic with uh we recently did uh derringer and mayhem lauren rapper big Pooh, cormega um and uh who am i leaving out we did somebody else who was super dope oh uh anybody else no those are the but it's funny because it was it was derringer and mayhem so maybe it felt like two people but yeah, yeah three great interviews um equally with that i think three great albums and one of the things you know i don't know if this happens to our listeners and viewers but um, you know, I might I might like or really like a project, but then when you have the kind of those annotated liner notes where somebody really goes into it, um, it makes you listen more and appreciate more. And those three projects, which I, you know, immediately from from Rip, from the first time I heard them, I really liked. They continue to just dominate my daily listening. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, all great stuff. Great conversations. You know, um, we've been posting these more on our socials lately, you know, mm-hmm. just clips. But we had one we did with rapper Bay Pooh where he was talking about the things he's had to do to support his rap career, um, mainly driving Uber and just how honest he was. And that one just, just resonated with a lot of people. It's interesting to see the, the comments for that, too. You know? Yeah, I've looked a few times and that's great to see. Uh, I, I woke up and I saw that on just like artists that I follow resharing that. And it's just super, super real because there's a lot of artists that you and I and all of our our, our supporters look up to. And whether they talk about it in lyrics or not, they're doing other things, just like you and I do other things besides, you know, what our resume says. And um, yeah, it's 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 a nice awakening and and shout out to Pooh because he's one of the first artists to really own that. And and I've not seen a single person say anything negative about it. It's just kind of a, a real raw and positive moment. Yeah, a lot of thank yous. I saw Jerobi in there from a tribe called Quest talking about how. He supported himself through, you know, um, uh, cooking, being a chef, like the food industry and how Pooh is actually looking to get into that. So it's, it's just wild to see the dialogue, man. It was really yeah. cool. Yeah, Chip know? Fu from Fushnikins, Torre was in there. Um, my guy from Philadelphia, Reef the Lost Cause, you know, shared it. I just, I love that. And and there's a host of others. So yeah, man, shout out to Pooh. And if you haven't heard the album or seen the interview, please do both. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, we got to start on uh, a bit of a heavy note. Uh, We lost another great in hip hop. And it's it's crazy, man, for a genre that is not even yet 50 years old and where most of the participants, I'd say even from back in the day, are like mid to late 60s at most. We've lost so many people. Um, And Coolio is someone who passed away about a week and a half ago. You wrote the story. You You want to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, Coolio was 59 years old, um, was at a friend's residence, uh, stepped to use the restroom, and his manager, longtime manager, found him in there unresponsive. And uh, September 28th, later that day, um, Coolio was pronounced dead. And like you said, I mean, every year there's a clip of deaths. And this one is is especially sad. I mean, um, I will say that, you know, Coolio has not been somebody that I think has been 
you know, in the musical headlines a lot in the last 10 years, I've seen him covered on TMZ for some legal stuff, for some reality TV stuff. But I think that Coolio's impact is is deep in rap. And also, you know, similar, um, you had come up with a headline in 2021 that Bismarcky was more than just a friend to hip hop. And I thought that that line was so powerful because, you know, sometimes artists are reduced to their hit especially in the crossover world. And I actually just saw recently that that line is on actually on Biz's tombstone, um, mm. which is which is really heavy. And, you know, Coolio made international fame. My parents, my uncles, you know, elders know who Coolio is through Gangster's Paradise. But, you know, we had covered him on the site in several you know intersections of culture. But I think anyone would admit that his catalog was much deeper, as was his talent. Yeah, man, you know, he, like Tone Loke and Young MC and a couple other artists we've talked about in the past, at the time did not get the kind of respect that he deserved. You know, um, Tommy Boy artist, if you listen to the album cuts, like, you know, he rapped and like was a great talent, but people heard the hit. And at the time, ironically, it was, you were considered being a sellout if you were too commercially successful. And, you know, that song was such a huge hit, Gangster's Paradise, that I think it overshadowed a lot of his music. In fact, like, I was not a huge Coolio fan until Fantastic Voyage dropped. And for me, you know, a huge fan of Slave and, you know, the original. Well, that and, was Lakeside, right? Uh, Fantastic Voyage. Yeah, yeah, Lakeside. Yeah, you're right, Lakeside. Um, huge um, fan of um, Lakeside. And, um, you know, um, just really that song has always been something that like w- was powerful for me. And, and it, I, I had a renewed appreciation for it. You know, I make these mixes for uh, barbecues and stuff like that. And, and I did one maybe like 2013, 2014. And I put that on there and it just hit so hard, man, the baseline and everything. Uh, so I really started to appreciate him much later in life, uh, but you know, a real loss. And I was shocked. It, it, it always happens you know, uh, it seems like when you're traveling or doing something out of the norm, you wake up and, and have this terrible news. But yeah, man. So uh, rest in peace to Coolio, um, you know, to his family, to, you know, his fans and friends. Tough news. Hey, one other thing I just want to add that's interesting about Coolio that I think gets lost in the mainstream coverage is, you know, we talk about, you know, the hype man in hip hop and, you know, sure, there's there's Flavor Flav and there's Spliff Star and, you know, Freaky Ta and you can go on and on. And Coolio was down with Dub C in the Mad Circle. So when I was, you know, 12 years old, 13 years old and cruising the bargain bins at the record store, I had Ain't a Damn Thing Change, which oddly enough is a hard to find CD and album now, which is Dub C in the Mad Circle's first album as a group. You know, Dub had done stuff, you know, with DJ Aladdin for Low Profile. And Coolio is the hype man in that iteration of Mad Circle, you know, with Crazy Tunes and Dub C. And not a heavy presence on the album, but kind of has his moment similar to, you know, those other examples I just gave. And within three years of that, lands a Tommy Boy and comes with Fantastic, you know, Voyage, which was before Gangster's Paradise. And I remember being, you know, 10, 11 years old, loving that song. And, and you know, Coolio from that to It's All The Way Live to... You know, he had this ability, not unlike other artists in hip hop, you know, of popularizing um, 
you know, taking funk records from the late 70s and early 80s and making, bridging them for a new generation. And I remember as a kid, you know, when when Snoop shouted him out on, what is it, uh, Doggy Dog World, you know, my brother Coolio put me up, you know, like, yeah. I always, I think that Coolio suffered a lot because he was in his own pocket. You know, he was never down with death row. Actually, one of the stories since he passed is how Coolio was erased from a Tupac um, other appearance. You know, they never got a chance to work together. So Coolio was kind of on an island with Raz Kaz and a few other, you know, Dub and a few other people. But out of that, he still finds gold and platinum and Grammy success. And, you know, there's a three album run at Tommy Boy from Fantastic Voyage. Um to uh you know the third album i think it's my soul the one with i'll see you when you get there on it which you know early melodic song just a super talented dude and and yeah i i often wonder um how he would have been looked at differently had he not had so much mainstream success so fast but you know absolutely to echo your point you know rest in peace and another sad sad bit of news yeah, and it's an interesting point. Uh, you say that he tapped into those funk records too, because obviously that is so um, endemic to the West Coast sound. You know, you had Quick doing it, you had Eight doing it. Obviously, uh, Dre with Snoop and and that whole Death Row camp. But would you say that uh, that Coolio was? Do you think of him as like an LA artist when you know, like those other artists I named, or do you think that? the hits he had kind of transcended it and makes people not think of him in that way. I think of him as an LA artist from the introduction. First time I remember seeing Coolio was Fantastic Voyage, which if you recall, cool concept for 94, the trunk of like a 65 or 66 Chevy pops and everyone's coming out to go to a beach party, but it was the low rider. It was the, you know, it was the braids. Like Coolio was positioned against, you know, Snoop and some of those other artists, Easy E and VG Knockout and Dre Stud, like that whole era of mid nineties. So I have, and it was wild. You know, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was I was traveling when the news broke of his passing, and I'm watching like a mainstream local news report, and they're saying that Coolio was born um, within you know Greater Pittsburgh, a fact I never knew, hmm. which you know is wild. Like you know. <laughs> that that I wouldn't know that and that again like Coolio was this guy who bounced around like a lot of other folks in hip hop but I do think of him as an LA artist for sure what about you yeah you know um obviously he's LA and the sound is LA but you know I don't I don't like you said he was on an island or you know not down with a, a, a click in that way you know besides WC the Mad Circle initially and I don't think of him when I think of West Coast L.A. artists like he isn't one that comes to mind readily. You know, yeah. if I'm making an L.A. playlist or something like that, uh, it's much more those guys that I mentioned, um, you know, and some of the newer guys, Problem, TDE, you know, um, even Underground, Farside, um, you know, Freestyle that, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So uh, so it's interesting. But, you know, L.A. was in the news this week because the game was on a podcast. Uh, there's a new podcast on Uproxx, uh, and it is, do you remember what it's called? Um, no, no, it's co-hosted by Just Blaze. Let me tell you the name of it right yeah. now. Is it Fresh? It's, 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 um, it's something to do with sneakers. Um, but in any case, he was on the, on the show with um, Just Fresh Blaze. Fresh Pair. Fresh Pair, yeah. And so Just Blaze asked him, you know, top five L.A. rap albums. And Game was like, he exhaled for a second, you know, you could tell that 
the question hit him, but he didn't hesitate and he went right to it and he gave five, I think, really great responses. Very hard to argue against any of them. And, you know, for a dude who self-proclaimed his album Drillmatic to be the best album of the year and how it was going to put him, you know, in the top, you know, five of like lyricists and things like that. He showed a lot of humility in not naming just like his own catalog, but he named uh, The Chronic. Because in his mind, Dre, you know, really kind of helped to kick off that movement in a major way. Um, and then he talked about Doggy Style, and he said that that really he saw The Chronic as partly Snoop's debut, too. Um, he put the documentary in there um, next, which was, uh, and he said his justification for that was that L.A. rap had kind of fallen off the map, and he was the guy who brought it back and, you know, put it back, you know, in its in its kind of like glory days, and was the, the dude who held that down for about 10 years, you said, until obviously Kendrick came along. He named Kendrick Good Kids Mad City at number at at uh, number four, and these weren't ranked, but you know this is the order that he did. And number five, um, when I thought he was gonna like uh, have skipped some of the other OGs, he went back and named Ice Cube's death certificate. So um, first of all, I want to talk about that list, you know, games list, and then I want to go back and figure out whether we think that was the right list, um, you know, or you know what our, our what yours is and what mine is. Mm-hmm. Because the story that I wrote, I really said that in the headline that it's hard to dispute any of these. And, and, I, and you know, I think it's like at a certain point, if you name, you know, it's like top five, right? There's probably 20, 20 artists you can make a credible argument for for being in the top five. Um, I think and for the reasons the game articulated, uh, it's really hard to pull any of those records out. But what do you think about that top five in general? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I liked the question. Shout out to Just Blaze. You and I recently did, um, you know, two pieces this summer. One on our readers determining the 20 greatest hip-hop albums of all time through voting, which is great discourse there. And and you and I, you know, on just looking at our own opinions, weren't very far off from our readers. And then we did another one of every MC who's ever shouted out their top five MCs when asked or done it even just, you know without a prompt and I really enjoyed that and so this way of framing the question is interesting because um it just makes it a little bit more fresh and and I'll say for me it got me thinking I'd never really put it in the LA box I think you know maybe somebody's asked me west coast but not LA so that's number one and number two I mean game has over the years I've interviewed game a bunch and I've always found him to be a really likable dude. And he's certainly a hip hop head, but as you kind of alluded to, he's not above hyperbole. I wouldn't say that Drillmatic is the greatest album this year. Um, also, uh, you know, game has done some things that are a bit of a head scratcher and I'll use this latest, um, you know, diss at Eminem is a, is a great example of that. And we have, you know, a, a piece covering it on the site. All of that said, I thought his list was really hard to argue with. I thought it was it was really um, true to a few different eras. It wasn't just partial to his homies. Um, it was it was really good. What about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I liked his list. I liked the justification for it. You know, um, I, I think that if any were to be pulled, it would probably be his album. Um, 
And also, it's it's really hard, as you know. I, I think Kendrick has, you know, arguably four classic albums. Yeah. And uh, you know, Miss Morale is a great album too, and the Big Steppers. Um, it's hard to say whether Good Kid is better than a Two Pimp a Butterfly, which you know was like was like nominated what eleven times or something like that. And, yeah. An insane amount. Um, and Damn, which won a Pulitzer. You know, the only non-jazz, non-classical album to do so. Um, you know, it's hard to say which one of those or maybe more than one should have been in the list. You know, 2001, a lot of people say is as good as The Chronic. You know, it wasn't as groundbreaking sonically, but was it was pristinely mixed and uh, the rapping on it was, I think, equally, if not better than that on The Chronic. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of arguments there. Um, you know, for me, I think the one that I would swap out would be the documentary and I would put straight out of Compton in there because that is the thing that launched the careers of Dre and Cube and, and these guys. Uh, it put Compton on the map, knowing it was talking about Compton and hip hop, no one knew about it. And all of a sudden it was a powerhouse. It was you know, arguably the second most famous city in rap. Um, you know, to New York um, and, you know, the, the various boroughs. So I, I think I would put that in there. I think there's an argument for albums, you know, that really establish the underground, like the far side's bizarre ride to the far side. But it, even there, like, um, you know, their second album, I think, you know, was just as good. And you had, yeah. you had, you had Dilla, um, you know, really kind of starting to establish himself on that album. So uh, I think there are arguments for other albums being on there, but it's hard for me to say that like any of them were categorically wrong. One of the things that I really liked about it is it, for game was more than just a list. And he qualified a couple of things. And one being, you know, in looking at Kendrick's catalog, he said that Good Kid Mad City felt more like the L.A. album, which I take, you know, compared to um, Damn, you know, which was groundbreaking, you know, piece of art. And I thought that I would agree with that. And, you know, as I've said before in this podcast, like I'm always partial to Section 80. But I have to tell you that the first time I listened to Section 80, if not for some lyrical cues, I would not have necessarily had a specific place in mind for that album. I remember hearing GLC on it and I believe BJ the Chicago Kid. And I'm like, oh, OK, is this a is this a Chicago, you know? I wasn't as versed in Kendrick in 2011 as you were to know all of that. Um, and that's not to say that every album has to be straight G-Funk, but that album, you know, I would definitely say that that um, Good Kid, Mad City is Kendrick's most L.A. album. And in that four album classic run that I agree with you on, that is the one that rings City of Angels to me uh, with that in the same line. You know, Cube says America's most wanted or game says America's Most Wanted by Ice Cube. And as a hip hop fan, he points out that a lot of that album, you know, was made with the Bomb Squad, you know, the Public Enemy production outfit. It was recorded, you know, in Long Island and Green Street Studios in Soho. You know, that that album is really interesting. And, and that got me thinking, too, of, you know, what how do we perceive geographical changes, you know, in hip hop like. I look at Bone Thugs and Harmony, right? Like they are so Midwest, but there are albums that they made early in their career that sound super West Coast because they were coming to Ruthless. They were living in LA. They were working with Easy. They were working with, you know, some of the Ruthless team. Um, 
you know, there's other artists, like I think of like a two short that, you know, cut his teeth in the Bay, but spent all those years in the mid nineties on in Atlanta. Um, so you're going to have some of the diaspora of an Atlanta sound on there. And I mean, there's a million cases um, to your point. I think you make a really good one in swapping straight out of Compton with the documentary. And I agree that of the five, the documentary is not the one for me. Um, I've, I don't know if I've ever said it on this podcast, but I've said it in my, you know, just hip hop discussions with friends. I prefer the documentary as an album to 50 cents, get rich or die trying like in the G unit catalog. That is the album I love. I think it's masterfully produced and it's interesting that um, just blaze is where game said this. Cause I think just blaze provided apart from what he's done with Jay, some of his best work on that album, um, you know, as did Timberland as did, you know, a host of people, but Apart from the lyrics, that album taps into a lot of what was going on other places. I think the game has more LA albums than that. Um, LAX comes to mind, you know, which dropped, I think, almost four years later. Documentary um, 2.0 and 2.5, both were two, LA albums. Yeah. Maybe even Big more term. so than LAX. Great yeah. point. Yeah. Um, you know, the game is really good at that. And he, you know, got comfortable in his skin, especially after he had built such a strong fan base and all of that. For me, I think, you know, I cannot refute straight out of Compton. I'm going to make a controversial pick, though, and say all eyes on me. Um, and that's controversial just because, okay, boom, Tupac, New York born, um, had all these ties to Jersey, spends his time one year in Baltimore, you know, Marin City in Northern California is kind of introduced as a Bay Area artist. And I would even say, you know, that Tupac's best album, Me Against the World, is not an L.A. album. Um you know, that guy, that album, you know, has Richie Rich on it and kind of honors parts of Tupac's past. It had old school on it. You know, he's working with Easy Mo B. It's more of a general hip hop album or a, or a New York City album to me, to me. Um, and I, I was just reading earlier tonight, you know, he allegedly recorded that in like 10 different studios, was just kind of taking it on the run as his life was. But when he gets out of prison and joins Death Row, um, you look at what is his statement, California love, like shouting out the different parts of L.A. He's working with Dre. He's working with Snoop and the Dog Pound and all of these different people. And you came up with a headline six years ago, almost seven, that All Eyes on Me is the last flawed, last flawed classic album. You know, was yeah. it last or only? Yeah, I think the only. Only. You know, and it's it's majorly flawed. You know, it's double yeah. disc, could have been reduced to one and been, you know, much more killer, less filler. But I love that album. And to me, um, that's what I put there. Which one are you taking out for the for for uh the documentary? Album? No, okay, but like let's go into the five though, right? Like if I'm putting straight out of Compton in there and I'm keeping Death Certificate, Good Kid, uh the Chronic and Doggy Style. Which one of those are you taking out for for uh, All Eyes on Me? Who? Probably Death Certificate. I don't love that answer. I, it's not. It's not my favorite. Similar to Pac, you know, that's not my favorite Cube album. I go to America's Most. Death Certificate is right there though, and that's a phenomenal album. The rapping is just so on point, but the sound to me is super duper LA. And that one, I'll, I'll level with you. Just even in writing this out, I spent over, you know, an hour just kind of taking notes. And, you know, there's albums that are really close for me. You mentioned it to me last week when Game made the the, the comment, you know, Blue and Exiles Below the Heavens, you know, deserves to be in the conversation. 
I would say Cypress Hills Black Sunday deserves to be in the conversation. Um, Compton's Most Wanted, Music to Drive By. I mean, there are so many, you know, even more contemporarily, YG's My Crazy Life is a super LA album to me. Um, you can go look in all the different eras. I'm looking and I'm like, how is there not DJ Quick on this list? And, you know, I was re-listening to, you know, his whole catalog. Um, you can go on and on and on. I don't like doing that to Cube, but I think I'm I'm comforted by the caveat that Cube is a dominant lyrical force of Straight Outta Compton. Well, he's part of NWA too, so you kind of check that box with him. Yeah. But you could say the same thing for Dre on that. You know, for me, uh, Ice Cube is one of my top five rappers, and Death Certificate, in my opinion, is his best album um, okay. for sure. Uh, the Bomb Squad album, you know, I was actually the one who made that point about it being more of a New York album, um, and that for me was not. Um, it, it didn't sound like Cube for me, you know, like Death Certificate is when he went back to his West Coast roots and that sounded like an Ice Cube uh, record to me. And he's talking about L.A. things, um, you know, he had the, the, the light side and the dark side, um, um, you know, he had like messages, he had humor, Bird in the Hand was incredible. Like that, that to me was was Cube's best album. So it's really hard for me to, to take that one out, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know for me, like that list, you know, uh, man, doggy style. Yeah. I, I, I can't take any, you know, I think in terms of Sonics straight out of Compton might be the, the weakest one in that top five for me. Um, I think the straight out of Compton, um, gets placed where it does because of the message it, that it had, you know, yeah. after police and, you know, really showcasing some of the police violence against, um, you know, MCs is one of the first uh, albums to really put that on front and center. So, um, but, you know, in terms of like the quality of the album, there, there are definitely a couple of like, you know, skip ones for me on, on that album. Um, and so if I was going to pull one, it might be that, but you know, would it be all eyes on me? Uh, man, um, I don't know, man. I think I think I'd have to go a little countercultural. I think I would go with, with Farside because they launched, in my opinion, that whole LA underground movement. You know, uh, if we're gonna talk, we're, like I thought, Game did a great job of putting context around things and giving mm -hmm. the historical importance of it. And I think Farside did that. Freestyle Fellowship too, but um, I think Farside did so better. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. And and um, I will say that the Farsides, you know, especially their second album, but their first, I've never caught up to what other people adore about it. I'll just say that. I, um, I can appreciate it. And I will add that Passing Me By, if I were to choose 10, maybe five all-time greatest hip-hop songs, that is one. Like, I love that group. But on an album level... I've always listened more than I've spoke to other people that have captured its significance. And, and I do agree, like there's more to LA than just gangster rap. And I know Kendrick is always on the periphery of that, but it, it would be nice to have that representation, be it through, you know, AC alone and Micah nine and freestyle fellowship or far side or a blue and exile. You need a representation of LA. And I also think that's one of the reasons why in looking at the list, I'm like, you know, what about a Cypress Hill? You know, we need, there's, there's, there's many facets to what LA sounds like. And I do agree with you. I don't, 
I think of those sonically, Straight Outta Compton might be the weakest. I think NWA's second album is much better produced than its first. The third think, one. The third one. Well, yeah, we don't count the compilation. The EP. The EP. No, the EP. Oh, the Hundred Miles Run EP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, you, I mean, it filled for zagging, right? That one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that to me is is one of Dre's finest hours, not on par with the Chronic, but it's yeah. It's right there. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, too. I mean, neither you nor I are saying 2001. And I mean, I, I know we both respect the hell out of that album, but not it, huh? Nah, man, I think I, I do think there's an argument that it's as good as The Chronic. Like, I, I've made that argument many times, but The Chronic was seminal. You know, it, I think I think, again, when it comes to two albums, the one that gets denied is the one that kind of broke ground and like, you know, um, broke the mold. Yeah, that's what I think the chronic was. Um, before we before we move on too far, I want to I want to go back to a couple things you said. Uh, so first of all, you talked about liking um, the documentary more than Get Rich or Die Trying. Uh, I did too, but I will say that the documentary to me sounds very much like a fifty album. You know, mm-hmm. to me it was like Get Rich or Die Trying West Coast version. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, and 50's imprint is so heavy on there. I want to talk about how 50 Cent killed Ja Rule and clowned him for being sing-songy and making pop records by being sing-songy and making pop records. Yeah. Like, why is that never called out? Because, like, when you listen to 50 Cent, Many Men, like, 21 Questions. P-I-M-P. How, how we do, all of it is singing, right? Like, he's singing, and it's, it's like, you could hear kids bop versions of these songs, right? Like, you know, uh, you could hear, you could hear kids singing these songs and they're very nursery school rhyme type cadence, you know, very simplistic. Um, How is it that 50 was able to kill Ja Rule for doing something that he was doing even more so than Ja Rule was? You know, I always think that 50 benefited from the power of the mixtape and the album cut. I mean, Fifth could do that thing where it was undisputed that he was, you know, a head down, hard nosed rapper, but then he would just keep accumulating audience through, you know, I don't want to call them girl songs, but through those, <laughs> those push records like that. And you're right. Like it, it's almost, and I'm sure if you and I were to have 50 on this podcast and I hope we do someday, you know, he would conjure up something like, you know, I wanted to just stick it to Jaro like even further of like, I'm going to steal your formula and make you irrelevant. And I was just thinking, I mean, Jaws great, you know, statement album. I think his last great kind of song in that conflict was New York with, you know, Fat Joe and Jada Kiss, which eventually puts Joe and Kiss and the rest of the locks on the outs with 50 simply by association. And that was such a hard record. I mean, you know, um, they used it in the uh, on the album version of the Khaled Jada Kiss joint. But even that, like the chorus had that, you know, kind of melodic singing, you know, in the growly jaw roll way. But yeah, man, I mean, you make a really, really interesting point. And and to the first point you made, that formula carries into hate it or love it. Like, which 
is one of the I would say in retrospect the biggest song from a mainstream perspective of the documentary. Hand I don't love it and how we do. They both they they both had this is how, yeah. 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 They both yeah. had the same formula. You know, game benefited so much though. I mean, as did 50 and and it's one of those things like in our list. You know, there are at least three albums that relate to Dre. On my list there are three albums that are death row. Um, we just mentioned that with Coolio of like how you brand an artist. And I think with the West Coast, video, music videos have always been so important of just showing a culture, even if it's exploitative, that looks interesting of, you know, low riders and, and hats and carjackers and bikini clad women at pool parties and barbecues, like just visually like the LA rap and and LA in particular because I don't think it it's quite like that for the Bay just looked so interesting and it benefited so much from that video era and I know that by 2004 you know MTV and BET weren't playing videos like they once were but the game was kind of part of that last breath of you know what's this artist look like you know what is what is he doing all of this and yeah you know it's it's interesting and it's funny that you and I agree on that on that being better than get rich or die trying yeah, so the other thing I want to talk about, you mentioned Dre. One of the things that, that uh, Game said on this podcast, another thing he said was that Dre did not produce a single song on the documentary. He said he's never, ever had a Dr. Dre production. And you know, mind you, it's like seven or eight songs on the album say they're co-produced by Dre. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we've all heard rumors and things like that about like, you know, uh, Dre not being as participatory in the songs where he uh, gets some of the credits. Um, and you couple that with game statement a few months ago that Kanye West did more for him in three weeks than Dre did in like three years or whatever it was. Um, you start to wonder, like, you know, do you think that's true? Do you think that, that or is that more games hyperbole, that, that Dre has never produced a record for him? Listen, I've been in rooms with the game. I've been in rooms with the game and Jimmy Henchman in my life. I think that's Cap. I think game is in his feelings. And I feel like similar to what he's done with Eminem, he's trolling. Um, I think the game was really disappointed to not be part of the halftime show. I think it made him feel either as a liability or irrelevant. And this is purely speculation on my part. But right after that, we saw the drink champs where he made those remarks. Um, and I think I think game is is really dismissing because I can go through the documentary and listen and know what Dre was part of. It had that knock. Now, of course, since the days of L.A. Dre on that second N.W.A. album and Colin Wolf. And, you know, we, we did a great article, you know, six or seven years ago of some of the other people that have, you know, kind of stood in the shadows of Dre's success. Again, I'm from Pittsburgh, Sam Sneed, Melman. Dre has always been a collaborator, but he has this ability to kind of take those elements and put that knock on it. And I think the documentary, what made that album so great is it was Dre coming back home, having an artist that was from the same city he was and rapping with an appreciation for hip hop. And it was there. Um, you know, I think Dreams is a fine record, and I know Game has done other things with Kanye, but I thought that was one of the more hyperbolic things that he said um, in recent time, and I think he's definitely in his feelings. Do you do you agree with me? Man, it's hard to say. Like, uh, I hear you on having the knock, right? Like, um, there there are certain Dre sounds that we have come to associate with him, and it's, it's, it's multiple eras. You know, to your point, 
straight out of Compton, he was much more like uh, sample based and it wasn't necessarily soul samples. It was all over the place from express yourself to, you know, whatever it might've been. Um, when he went into a feel for Zag and he started to really get into that G funk sound, right. Um, um, always into something. Uh, you, Real brothers you, don't die. Yeah. Is where you really started to hear it. Right. Um, um, and that sound continued through the chronic and doggy style and, you know, and other places he started to evolve to a different sound when he went to aftermath and released, um, you know, the compilation album, like been there, done. That was a very different sound. And then uh, by the time 2001 came, he had like kind of staccato, like piano and like really hard hitting drums. The question for me, though, is and, you know, so um, I think about how we do is an an example of that, you know, um, which sounds to me very much like a a that new era, that that late 90s era or, you know, early 2000s. Like that Mary J. Blige, Gwen Stefani, that. that, Exactly. Yeah. 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 That 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 era, Dre. Right. But, you know, when I look at the album credits, it's, it's Dr. Dre and Mike Elizondo. Right. Like, so you wonder how much of those sounds evolutions are really him or is it that he's paired with a different person now. Like, yeah. you know, how, um, you know, Q-Tip was with Dilla and his, his sound evolved. And, Great example. You know, um, you, you start to wonder, is it, you know, because I don't know. I, I do know that there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the music business where people get credit where they didn't actually um, do what they, they, they said they did. And, you know, it was an honor to be on a track with Dre. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. And, and that that is always going to be Dre's Achilles heel. Like when we talk about the greatest producers, um, Dre is phenomenal. And even if he's just mixing the record or he's, you know, adding some seasoning in to bring it home, you know, his place is, is, as I see it, undisputed. But when you can start to compare him to a DJ Premier or a Pete Rock, like two guys who have never been accused of of sharing the boards, you know, I know like Marley, you know, they say work with K Def later on, but I think early on, you know, Marley was Marley. Um, that starts to matter. And, but I think to game's point though, like, it's funny, like if that were coming from a Kendrick Lamar, it would make more sense to me because I, you look at Kendrick's career and there have been on, you can count them on one hand, I think the times where he's rapped to Dre production, a few of those being on Dre albums, um the game always had it and I, I remember being part of those campaigns um you know when they got back together how much that meant to the game at the time like how much you know he did a whole album called the doctor's advocate with dre not involved so i think he's just struggling um for that attention and if he would have said dre doesn't do and hasn't done enough for my career as you might think mm, that's something to consider but kanye i mean Tell me if you remember it differently. I don't remember Dreams being that definitive of a record. And I know Game appeared on, he appeared on college dropout or late registration. Late registration. Late registration. Um, I don't remember that being a focal point. Again, that's perspective. It's Game saying Game. But like, do you remember those records having that kind of impact? Well, it's two two different things, right? So um, I think it's possible that he's never rapped on a Dre beat. That being said, let's say that's true, right? Let's say that's completely true. Even if that's true, there is no way in the world that 
he can justify a statement that Kanye has done more for him in right. three weeks than Dre did in three. Dre was responsible for launching his entire career. Period. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh, period. Like, so, like, that, that, that it, it, you know, two pointers cap. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Before that, I mean, he was on JT, the bigger figures label, and they were putting out stuff, as I remember it. And people didn't, like, people knew about it kind of, sort of, if you were reading Murder Dog magazine, but it, Dre was that fire in the stadium moment. And so was 50. But yeah. anyway. So, while we're talking about Dre, another story popped up um, in the last few days which kind of set things on fire for me. I can't wait. So we had, we'd had heard rumors that uh, Snoop and Dre were in a studio. We saw pictures of them with Harry O in the studio. Um, you know, Harry O being uh, one of the original investors in Death Row Records, who's now part of Snoop's uh, new Death Row venture. And we heard that, um, we heard that, that uh, Dre and Snoop might be working on something now, at the time, you know, you know, often we see these pictures, nothing comes about it. Um, you know, maybe you get a song or something like that on the soundtrack or, or whatever. But now Snoop definitively came out and said that he and Dre have been working on an album. Harry O actually said that too in the summertime, but to hear from Snoop himself is very different. You broke that still both those stories and that the, the album is coming in November and it's called Missionary as a sequel to Doggy Style. Uh, but you you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it's two interesting points about that. Harry O tells Kevin Garnett's podcast, Kevin, on it um, in the summertime, and Snoop broke the news to Stephen A. Smith. Um, interesting kind of uh, just commentary on, on music journalism, the way that, you know, sports uh, figures are breaking this news. Um, yeah, I'm super excited by it. Snoop is positioning it, obviously, unintended and the album title as the the 30th anniversary of doggy style doggy style came out in 93 we are also in the midst in 2022 of the 30th anniversary of the chronic which i believe is in december um so it's interesting either one of two things are going to happen they're going to find a way to kind of amalgamate those albums um or those anniversaries i should say or it's not going to be november and you know we live in an era where kendrick lamar and drake and j cole you know, some of the top players in hip hop history and in the game can drop a surprise album. Um, I don't know if Snoop, you know, he certainly can do it, but I more lean that there's a rollout. So either it'll happen on a fly, it'll happen in 2023 against what he said, or one of these days, any day now, probably be when you and I are both catching flights that a, a song drops and no matter what scenario it is, I can't wait for it. Like this is to me, you know, like one of those things um, that I've waited a long time for and, you know, not for nothing. Dre was very much a part of no limit top dog, very much a part of blue carpet treatment, which I would say are Snoop's two of his best albums after doggy style. Dre and Snoop have a formula. And this is also part of a, you know, rewriting the narrative, uh, changing chapters. This is a bigger, this is bigger than just an album. These are, this is Dre coming back to death row and thought, which even in 2001, I don't think he did. Um, so I'm super excited about this, just massive stuff. Yeah. I'm very excited about it too. Um, you know, Snoop has obviously continued to do his thing consistently for, you know, 30 full years. Like he's never taken a break. Uh, I don't know that there's been a year that's gone by 
without some sort of new Snoop, Snoop Dogg music. But, you know, to get a full project from him and Dre is just really dope. And after hearing what Dre did uh, for the Grand Theft Auto, yeah. those six tracks, like, I mean, those were, those to me stand among, amongst his best work, you know, wow. especially like Diamond Mind and uh, ETA with yeah. with Anderson Pack and, and um, Snoop and Buster, right? Um, there's some really great, great um music that came out of there so if, if doc is coming with heat like that yeah uh man i think we're in for a real treat you know in- you asked a while ago and we you know we spoke about it a bit with nas and you know king's disease one um you know what does legacy what does a grammy mean to an artist that's been in hip-hop for 20 and 30 years and you know back on death row was a cool album title and a cool message that coincided with snoop's acquisition Earlier this year, we knew about the album title before we knew that Snoop was the owner. We thought he was just releasing, you know, catalog on the label. Um, It wasn't an album that I would consider among his best. Something with Dre, something with them in the studio is is game changing. And, you know, even in looking at, you know, the L.A. rap album question, I did a little bit of research. It there's only two LA artists that have ever won the best rap album of the year Grammy. And they've both won it twice. Um, Kendrick Lamar and Tyler, the creator, the only other West coast artists to win that award um, is Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, you know, for the heist with being from Seattle. So it's really interesting, you know, Snoop and Dre are two of these artists that have always been shunned by the Grammys. Can be a litany of reasons behind that. I think anyone who knows music can make those assumptions. But an album like this in a time like this could give Snoop the feather in his cap and Dre that has always eluded them on a musical level, be it from the Grammys or, or anywhere else. And I think that that's a really necessary milestone in both of those men's careers. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's, it's necessary. You know, I think that their legacies are cemented and uh, we all know the, the checkered history of the Grammys. Uh, You know, so I don't know that a Grammy validates them any. I think it would be cool for them to get it, just like it was real cool for Nas to get it too. But, um, you know, I don't think that if they go without a Grammy in any way, I mean, these dudes, to your point earlier, literally just came off doing the Super Bowl halftime show. Arguably the greatest of all time. You know, one of the top three probably. You know, Prince, that one, and uh, maybe Beyonce. But, um, you know, so for... and Dre is a billionaire, you know, he has headphones like Snoop has done everything, including like uh, Martha Stewart uh, TV show. Like these guys, their legacies are, I think, beyond cemented. So uh, Grammy would be cool, but, you know, I don't think it would be lacking. You're right. And, and, and let me reframe that a little bit. It could be Grammy, but it could also be like, OK, we we watched Eminem now getting inducted in the Hall of Fame. I'll bet you, you know, a six pack right now that in 2023, like Snoop gets that look. Like, you know what I mean? Like we're starting to whatever the mainstream thing is, that's going to happen of like reminding the greater community of what these artists meant, not just in the early 90s. And and in Dre's case, you know, there's a few check ins there. But yeah, it'll be interesting. And I really hope that music delivers. Um, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You, you said something you said something earlier you talked about like uh kind of fits and starts and how you know we'll hear something about an album and then it won't come so one, one of the things i've been thinking about is you know there were all those news reports um and they were back in september of 2020 about kendrick lamar being seen on a beach um you know with an umbrella and like in a phone booth and stuff like that filming a music video you remember that when that came out no you know what's funny i actually don't remember that but that doesn't mean anything because i often tune up those like rumor things but go ahead well i'm a kendrick stan so you know and there are actually photos that surfaced uh if you look carefully you'll you'll see that those were actually scenes being shot for the n95 video which we know didn't drop until may of 2022 so now almost a full two years later. So that means that that, out, that song at least was complete. And you know they don't shoot music videos until the album is done or, or close to being done and really ready to be released. So what do we think happened to delay the album for two years? Man, that's interesting. And I mean, it's purely speculation, but you know, it wasn't until we really started to lead up to the album. I don't think it was until this year, man, maybe last year, that we knew that Kendrick would had one more album with TDE. Like clearly there was somewhere in there that 2021. Yep. With the Keem record. Well, August of 2021, he, uh, he mentioned, he, he put out the statement that, you know, this would be his last one. And then family ties dropped a week later and he's waving the PNG, the PG Lang flag. Yeah, that's right. And we did. And that's when we ranked, you know, TD's place among record labels. So yeah, I would, I would have to believe it's that or it's perfectionism, but it's wild. I guess in the old days, you know, people would shoot a video and I know it still happens now, but not necessarily for artists of Kendrick's ilk of like, you know, I made a really good song. It's catching traction. I'll do a video. And when I do the video, the album isn't ready. But Kendrick is an albums based artist. So it's wild to imagine that he would make a video to a song that he knew he was going to keep for a bigger project. For me, it's either those two things. It's either the pursuit of perfection or it's you know, there was other stuff. And it might have also been some of those themes he's addressing on the album. But, you know, you, uh, as you said, you're a stan. You follow Kendrick. I, I will wholeheartedly say at a deeper level than I do. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, I think that um, there's probably some contractual stuff going on. You know, I think that they were probably figuring out how they were going to wind down, down, wind down their business and how he was going to, uh, you know, do his thing with PG Lang. And these things take time, you know. Um uh yeah i think that that's probably what it was Mm. i think that's probably what it was yeah so you know one of the bigger stories this week and not just this week but this year um has kind of been kanye west place in the media and i think that that you know started again just like kendrick last year with the drink champs appearance two-part episode um a lot was said there you know obviously he put out the album last year and that whole rollout but especially in the last, I'll say, six weeks, you know, I keep reading Kanye's name in the unlikeliest of places. You know, New York Times op-ed, um, people have spoken about it as it pertains to the stock market. Um, 
you know, I'm curious to ask you, um, because we've had through the site and I think also through this podcast, a number of check-ins of, you know, where Kanye is in relation to the greater musical and hip hop discussion. I'm curious to get kind of your take over those developments as late. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've pushed us really hard to provide a balanced uh, coverage for Kanye, you know, cause there's so much what I believe to be clickbait or solely focusing on the, the rants, the, the, you know, the outbursts, the negativity that a lot of the good things that he says, the, the, the things that are about, um, you know, black empowerment and uh, free thinking and, you know, other things that I believe are powerful messages, uh, you know, owning your own things, you know, controlling your own destiny, you know, things like that, that we pulled out of drink champs and stuff like that. I think it gets lost in the sauce. And I think it's important to highlight all of those things instead of drowning it out with just a negative. So I've, I've, really wanted us to be careful on that. I also think that the mental illness thing was used to um, to discredit a lot of the stuff that he talked about and, and, and not uh, give enough um, credit to the things that, you know, that I mentioned before. Um, and I'm also careful about, you know, how black people are positioned in media in general. Um, and so that being said, you know, um, the thing that, that troubles me most is just how incessant the coverage of Kanye is, right? Um, he is in the news. I, I used to say that there's no one in the news more than, than, uh, more than Kanye except for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. He's in the news even more than, like, the Kardashian-Jenners, like, it, and, it, and it's been pretty much nonstop since Taylor Swift and I can't remember if that was 2008, 2007. 2009. 2009. Okay, 13 years, right? This guy has been in the news nonstop 13 years. Um, he's talented, you know, in a lot of different ways. He's talented in music and fashion. But there is no one in the world who mandates or merits that kind of coverage. Like, it's a, it's a fetish. It's a fixation. I also think it's somewhat laziness and I think that it is preying on human beings desire to see train wrecks. Mm. You know, I think human beings like to see disaster. They like to see people unravel. And I think that um, he is, you know, like I said, the equivalent of Trump in terms of like, Oh, it's always going to be easy, low hanging fruit. That's going to grab people in and get them to read. Um, but, you know, I really step back and question the motivation behind this beyond you know, the obvious of like, the commercial part right so let's say that he is truly mentally ill then in that case then people are preying on a mentally ill person and really um you know being opportunistic about like what he's doing in order to like um exploit that that's you know let's that, that's a let's say he is mentally ill and that that's what's happening Let's go to the other side, though, and say that he's not mentally ill and, uh, you know, people are just covering it. Then he's being super manipulative of the media and doing everything he can, literally like almost setting himself on fire in order to get attention, saying whatever comes to mind, whatever he knows is going to be super controversial. You know, we've heard it all. The, you know, slavery is a choice stuff. Now the White Lives Matter stuff, like, and like the recent comments I won't even get into because... 
Yeah. Uh, he's already been banned uh, for, for saying these things from, from Instagram. Um, in that case, then people are purposefully covering someone who is manipulating the media and trying to like command attention at any cost, no matter what the, the reason for it. Like um, I don't believe that um, one, the media should be covering it that way. And two, I wonder why people care so much. You know, what do you think it is that motivates people to care so much what Kanye West does? Because Kanye's life, you know, Kendrick has that line on Savior that, you know, uh, you know, uh, about LeBron and himself and future, like not being your savior. They, they brought you great music. They brought you great, you know, games. Uh, future taught you how to like save your commas, but he is not your savior. Right. Kanye West gave you Yeezys, but he is not your savior. Like what? what is it about Kanye that people are so fixated by? Yeah, man, I never owned a pair of Yeezys. Um, I, uh, I think it's, I think it's Beatlemania. I think that you know Kanye is not just for music, but for fashion, for politics, for social commentary, for all of these things at different points in his life. He is the light, you know, the brightest light burning at a fame level. I'm not saying you know that's not me. That's not a metaphor for genius, especially as of late. And I think people follow it. Um, and you, you know, I, I look at, you know, again, to the Pittsburgh connection, I look at Andy Warhol and his concept of fame, of, of how you retain people's attention and what you can do and how you, how people can become celebrities despite limited contribution. You know, like you can, you can be a celebrity simply based on how you carry yourself. So I think Kanye ties into that. And, and then there's also this element you came up with a headline years ago and I dug in, I wasn't feeling it, but you likened, you likened Kanye West to Andy Kaufman. And if people, you know, know a simple Wikipedia read of Andy late in his life as a highly accomplished comedian, you know, he'd done these incredible uh, concepts on SNL, done some really avant-garde theater stuff where he would literally just pull everyone out of the theater and take them out for cookies and ice cream and milk like Andy Coffin was all of these things, but late in his life, he became fixated on studio wrestling and began becoming kind of an anti-hero, becoming somebody who, you know, made light of wrestlers and women. And he was wrestling, he was doing all of these things. And we'll still never know if that was truly mental illness, Andy Kaufman um, pursuing a passion or his, you know, not won't say his greatest act, but part of, the art. Oh, no, I we, we know, we know it was an act. Like there was a documentary that like detailed it all. It was all definitely an act. He and Jerry Lawler, like, so I grew up watching this. Um, it was in the Mid-South wrestling circuit, which was like, you know, from like Southern Indiana down to like Memphis, mostly out of Memphis. Jerry the King Lawler, um, you know, Andy was uh, wrestling women, like you said, and, and like, you know, really being super insulting to Lawler and people who had Southern accents and talking down on, on you know, people who didn't have money and stuff like that. But behind the scenes, they were, it was all a gag. They, they were in on it. Like uh, mm -hmm. everyone knew, like, you know, uh, there's a scene where uh, he and Lawler, like uh, in, in the movie, um, what is it? Man on the Man Moon. On the moon? Yeah. Yeah. It, you see like uh, he and him and Lawler, like, you know, talking, you know, joking and stuff like that. It was definitely all an act, but it, it was to the point where it was almost like method acting, where he just like went in so far. He went too far with it, you know what I mean? But but it was it was certainly an act.
Yeah, and with Kanye, I just don't know. But, you know, it's like, it's that analogy of, for me, I'm trying to figure out when I change the channel on Kanye. You know, 2018, and I say this again, and this is like a catchphrase, but I say this as a white guy, like, when Kanye made those, you know, 400 years slavery comments to TMZ, I had been changed the personal channel. And if there was a point in time, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, I probably would have told you that Kanye was my favorite current artist, like hung on his every musical move, thought that it was brilliant. You know, it was it was, it was watching the next superstar keep rising. But somewhere after Pablo, um, and it wasn't just the Trump stuff. There was there was a point in time where Kanye just started to become unreliable to me. And I lost interest. And there was, you know, I I was just reading a quote, a tweet, and it made me laugh. You're a basketball head. This is from Blockhead. Blockhead's a you know, great art, you know, I consider a great artist, produced joints for Aesop Rock and, you know, Billy Woods and all these other people. And he tweeted, he goes, something lost in all this Kanye controversy is that the life of Pablo was the last good album he made. So to see people caping for this guy still is just sort of funny. It's like going to war for Shaq on the Boston Celtics. And I don't know that I completely agree because Kanye produced Daytona for Pusha T, which I thought was a phenomenal album, arguably the best of 2018. But Kanye doesn't capture me on the artistic level anymore. So I'm much less interested in what he's saying beyond that. It's like getting caught up in, I don't know, pick any other artists that you disagree with politically or socially that are just out there pumping it. But I guess to your point, it gets headline news everywhere when it's when it's yay. Yeah, I wonder if, you know, so for me, like, I think there's an entire generation that probably thinks of Kanye more in the fashion space than they do in the music space. And I, I would say that a lot of uh, of people who are later into Kanye stuff probably really like Donda too, you know, because he has been good at, continuing to ride the wave of current music. Um, you know, so I think that it's more Yeezys and we know these things sell out. They, they, they go for the resale prices are three, four times as much as, as um, the, the retail costs. I think that it's because of his fashion now, but in any case, no matter how great he is at fashion, no matter how great he is at music, like I don't think that it justifies the, the fixation, the, addiction the fetishization of of kanye that we see like it's it's so disproportionate to anything that like i i think it speaks more about us as human beings and our psyche um than it does about the importance of kanye west you know he's the, the the person and we have this there's a person who fits this mold uh, every couple of years. You know, it, it, it's just not been as long as I've seen ever on one person. So remember Britney Spears and mm -hmm. when Britney was going through her stuff, Lindsay Lohan was that person. Um, Charlie Sheen was that person for a while. There's yeah. always a person that like, you know, does like outlandish stuff and people want to follow every move as they watch their demise, literally. Right. Like Michael Jackson, people, arguably. Most of these people, right, ended up like either in a mental institution or rehab or dead or whatever. And uh, Kanye has been hospitalized, too. But it feels like people are watching, uh, w you know, waiting to see his demise. Like it's just it, it's it, and, the, and the media plays into it, which I, I find to be really disturbing. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things where I hate seeing. 
you know, valuable culture go uncovered, especially in the music space. Like right now, Kanye is a political, whether you want to call him a pawn, a rook, a bishop, or a king, he's part of the chessboard. He's part of the tug of war, as he was in 2018, as I believe he was in 2020. So to see him, you know, doing Tucker Carlson, following um, some fashion statements that appeal to a narrative was really disheartening. But I think those horses have been out of the barn for me. Um, and I don't think I've ever said this publicly. One of the deciding moments in me stepping down from um, one of or the top hip hop news space in 2013, 20, 2012, when I made the decision was Kanye and Kim Kardashian bought a million dollar gold plated toilet for their estate. And I got into a heated discussion with some of the other leadership at that organization on whether or not that was news. And to me, that was never news to me. That's an interesting piece of anecdotes. Same as, you know, Mike Tyson having lions, tigers, and bears, but it's not news. And I feel like for those last 10 years, everything that Kanye West has done good, bad, otherwise has become news. And I don't, I don't like the the tradition of music coverage, whether you want to talk about all music or specifically hip hop to buy into that to the level that they have. And it's really um, it's scary, especially when Kanye is leaning into really um, complex and, and dangerous things as of late. And I think that the last few weeks, especially the last 48 hours, show that quite well. Yeah. And I think they are, are leading towards self-destruction. Um, I don't see um, much benefit, if any, to any of the things he's doing. You know, I see a lot of really self-destructive behavior. And uh, I think it's sad. You know, I think it's really, really sad. Yeah. And um, my hope is I, I would like the next time a, a voice like Ambrosia to tune back in is is when there's, you know, something with merit to cover. One of the interesting things, just as an illustration of, of what we're talking about is, you know, the White Lives Matter shirt. And then Yasin Bey, most deaf, came out with the White Lives Matter shirt in response. And the last time that we covered Kanye in a headline was from the Black Star episode on Drink Champs with Dave Chappelle. And I rolled my eyes. I wasn't happy about, you know, covering it to the extent that you were. But we we did a deep dive on Yasin actually praising Kanye at a musical level and, and likening him to believe it or not, diamond D who we had on the show. That was the other recent um, interview of, of being kind of the resurgence of the MC producer. And at the time I didn't see that as a new conversation, but I appreciated you in the context of we, the only things we read about this person can't just be unrelated to music. So it was a nice reminder, but that being said, I, I'm, I, I don't want to tune other people in until there's something worth tuning in on. Yeah. He makes it, he makes it hard, you know? Um, and like I said, I've always tried to be balanced in the coverage, but you know, he's so far um, beyond the pale at this point. It's hard to find any balance there. You know, uh, yeah. I want to talk about something on a, on a lighter note though. Um, I had a great, great, uh, weekend, um, a cultural weekend, you know, somewhat related to Kanye, Virgil Abloh, who, you know, folks know, an incredibly talented designer, um, you know, came to prominence under Kanye at Donda as the uh, artistic director for, for Donda. 
um, went on to launch his own off-white label and then uh, became the creative director for menswear for Louis Vuitton, the first uh, Black person to have that job. Tragically died last year at age 41 uh, for, from a rare form of cancer. Um, he's got an exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum and uh, went and saw that yesterday. It was absolutely amazing. It showed like, you know, all the things he was doing in architecture and with music and uh, with fashion and, and shoes. And just to see it all in one place, you just you just saw his genius. He was he was also a controversial person, too. Like he used his fashion to highlight messages, uh, complex messages about race. There was one thing that uh, I was really surprised by. He had done a shirt for Supreme with red, black, and green, um, you know, as the, as the colors for the Supreme um, logo. And he had Chief Keef modeling it. And I was thinking, man, Chief Keef, wow, this guy, you know, is one of the progenitors of the drill music scene in Chicago, which we know came with all sorts of death. Uh, his music perpetu- perpetuated a lot of that violence um it made me feel a way to see him um you know being portrayed like that because you know i realized that kanye helped to bring him to prominence too and you have to start to wonder how that happens that you know um a guy who has such a um dangerous uh lifestyle that he brings into his music and the reality and we'll talk about that in a bit um is is heralded by one of the most you know uh commercially successful artists of all time it's a weird connection, you know, um, but, you know, that aside, like the Virgil exhibit was amazing. Second thing is that uh, I went to a concert last night at um, a place called uh, Elsewhere in Brooklyn. I saw Rock Marciano and The Alchemist perform. Um, they're touring to support their The Elephant Man's Bones album, which is a phenomenal album. And dude, uh, when I tell you that Rock Marciano is a MC's MC, like it could not be more true. Um, you know, we walk in and the first people we see are Marco Polo, DJ Premier, Static Selector. And then we look to our right and Snow Allegra is standing right next to us. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, you know, sit what's up to her. We go backstage um, and after the show, we see uh, large professors there. Like, I mean, like, and you know, I said, what's up to rock? I, I think I met him a long time ago at uh, BT, but uh, he knew Ambrosia, you know, um, that gave us props. That was really dope. Got to chop it up with Alchemist a couple of times and, um, you know, tell him what a fan that I am. We are as a site and the things we've done. Hopefully we'll talk to those guys at some point in the relatively near future, but it was a true hip hop moment, man. Um, Seeing him on stage reminded me he has the cool and swagger of like a Rakim. Mm-hmm. So laid back, man, and, and just like it's just so cool. It was it was amazing. It's one of the best rap shows I've seen in a long, long time. Man, that's dope to hear. I uh because I know that, you know, I hope I'm I'm not, but like there have been people that have been instant fans of rock. And I think for for you, correct me if I'm wrong, but like that was a little bit you know, that was a process for you to, you know, similar to me with a lot of artists. Yeah, it was an evolution. You know, um, I think I first started hearing rock back in 2011, 2012. Um, I'm pretty sure that I put um, him in the back room freestyle, but I can't find it. Um, So I'm not sure. I I think I had so many artists there. 
Um, but over time, man, um, he's become um, uh, one of my favorites. You know, I really love this album. I love the album with um, Molly Ringwald on it. Um, I forget what it's called. Like, it came out like three years ago. Um, yeah. uh, I went back and dug into his catalog. I'm, I'm, I'm a very big fan at this point. And, um, you know, as our colleague Justin Hunt coined that term connoisseur rap, you know, yeah. what he definitely sparked a movement, you know, that uh, I think has benefited Griselda and, you know, um, you know, lots, lots of, art, lots of artists who've kind of followed in his footsteps, but it was super dope to see it live. That's awesome. And I really love the rock him comparison. Cause I I've, I've interviewed rock a few times. I did a press bio for him for his Marcy Boku album, which is very, you know, great and slept on. And Rock is one of those guys that lets his art speak, which I appreciate. You know, there's so many people that I think their interviews sometimes are more compelling than their content. And Rock, you know, he leaves it out in the music and has that, you know, he's everything that he is on on wax, you know, just cool, calm, slick, very imaginative. And this album definitely is a real benchmark, not just in his catalog, um, but in Al's. And I know we've got some joints in the playlist, which if folks haven't, ha you know, heard, um, the album is a great place to start. Yeah, so that's what's up for sure. Marcia Lago, that was the 2019 joint. That, that oh right, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was great, man. It was a, it was a great hip hop weekend, but it's been a great couple of weeks in hip hop too for new music. Uh, I know one that that was been near and dear to your heart for a while. Drop too. Yeah, uh, you want to talk about Open Mike Eagle? Yeah. So it's funny, you know, maybe perhaps like you and 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 Rock Marcy, you know, Open Mike is this artist that's been around for a long time. And I've listened to other people in his kind of um, orbit, like Serengeti and Haslow and different folks. And people would always sing Mike's praises, you know. Um, and again, as we talk about space and time, I mean, Mike is a Chicago artist who has been living in L.A. for like, I feel like a decade or more. Um, and some of his music now sounds super L.A., but there's always references to Chicago. But he, um, you know, he had put out a single a few months back. We asked Diamond D about it called I'll Fight You, which is one of my favorite songs of the year. Um, just kind of captures some nostalgia, but some personal admissions um, from Mike's life. And that was the first look we got. The album is called Component System with Auto Reverse. And you know, Mike's label's called Auto Reverse. He uses uh, boom boxes and cassette decks as kind of an analogy and extension of himself. And the artwork, you know, when you see it, you'll understand all of that. But I've really, really enjoyed this album. It arrived last Friday, um, October 7th, and it features several joints produced by Diamond D. It has Armin Hammer, which is um, Elucid, and Billy Woods, who I mentioned a moment ago on it. Uh, Rap Ferreira, Video Dave, Still Rift, Aesop Rock, uh, Diamond makes a vocal contribution on it. And it's just, um, it was funny. I had I had lunch with some friends today and we were talking about the album and I don't, I don't know what to classify open mic as. I don't love the term underground for him. I don't love the term art rap for him. He's just somebody that is super duper relatable um, and very much, doesn't necessarily sound like doom but comes from that doom count based d school but he has this ability to be super relatable and write about aging and write about relationships and write about anxiety in a way that i really enjoy and this album has risen um very much for me and i the joint i really liked apart from i'll fight you is um 
the uh, joint I sent you the other day, Crenshaw and Homeland. And you put a few on the album, too. One of which is a on tribute the playlist. Yeah, on, the playlist. on the playlist, excuse me, called for doom. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. And and yeah, I know you kind of were feeling the album as well. Yeah. I really like the album, man. Uh, the first couple songs, um, I really like, um, for doom, uh, the Crenshaw one, uh, the, the, uh, peak lockdown raps is one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, I also like uh circuit city. Like I, I think the whole album is really, really dope. And, you know, so when you were saying that, you use the term risen um and to me what he is almost is like a if if like de la soul had gone solo Hmm. you know he he is that kind of dude he'll bring creativity humor but also sharp insight into real everyday life it's not about like you know slinging rocks and like you know buying whips and like stuff like that it's about everyday person like struggles you know and uh, i think it's super dope because of that I like that. And you and I talk a lot about vocal tone and Mike has one of my favorite voices of artists now. And he's somebody too. I mean, he's in the same um, sphere as Hannibal Burris, who's become, you know, over the last 10 years, one of my favorite standups of this generation and not for nothing. We've alluded to it on the show, but I would, I would contend that open Mike Eagle is one of the best podcasters period. We've watched a, a lot of artists, you know, from, from Nori um, and Talib Kweli move into that space but, you know, his What Had Happened podcast, and that's not his only one, is phenomenal. And oddly enough, you know, one of those seasons was dedicated to Prince Paul and another Dante Ross, two people who worked closely with De La Soul. So I like mm. your analogy. Mm. Yeah. And so another one uh, also close to your heart and and mine, too, now um, is Cormega's The Realness, too. You know, we had him and I urge anyone um, who's made it this far to go back and check out that album. If you're a Cormega fan or just a hip hop fan in general, it was one of the realest interviews we've ever had. He and his album is is very much like that, too. He speaks very uh, much from what he's going through in life and very authentically. Um, he talks about it being a true sequel and it's an update on his life. You know, he was very intentional about matching themes and uh, even like the ordering of the songs and you, you picked up on a couple of, of like, you know, parallels to the album, but um, you can talk about this. You, you can do it way more justice than, than I, but we talked about the Nas collaboration that he has called glorious. It's also on our playlist. Um, the saga resumes also great song. Um, I, I think the whole project is, is, is great, you know, start to finish. It's one that I've, I've kept in heavy rotation too, but what, what are your thoughts about the album? Yeah. I mean, I really, really enjoy it. It's, it's among my favorites this year. And I think we've all as hip hop fans, um, I'm sure most people can relate to me, been duped by a sequel at at least one point or another, where somebody throws a name on something to get your nine ninety nine on iTunes or your attention. And then, they don't really deliver on it. And this one was surgical um, to me. You know, I would very much, you know, put it in the space of, of you know, Raekwon's only built for Cuban links too. Um, and, and, and yeah, Corey took several songs and just completely updated them and not in a way that is super on the nose. The saga resumes is arguably, but what's really cool about that is he re- reworked the chorus and we talked about it in the conversation, but whereas the original realness comes in 2001, if I'm not mistaken, it arrives just a few weeks before 9-11 um, and deals a lot with kind of this dope dealer MC, you know, very much like Reasonable Doubt. And that song was was 
an homage of like, I, I wish I could tell you I wasn't hustling no more is the lyric. And now, boom, you know, 20 plus years later, you have a father, uh, you know, a fully grown man, a guy who's, who's making art beyond music, writing books. And he's telling you that he turned his life around through music. And I love that. There's just so much depth here. Um, and it's all in the name of hip hop, too, you know. And, and one of the things we didn't talk about with him, you know, there's you and him finished our interview speaking about uh, basketball, which was really cool. But this album doesn't have a ton of references to a lot of things going on right now. It's very much evergreen. And I'm noticing that as a trend, you know, as we talk about the value of albums and legacy artists. And, and I heard I forget who said it. But somebody once said Dr. Dre coached them on writing lyrics of don't mention things that are just for the moment. Mention things that will stand forever. And I'm noticing a lot of great MCs doing that. And I think that's very true of the realness, too. And again, heavy rotation. We added a, a couple joints, um, including the Saga Resumes and Glorious um, to the playlist and definitely checked out that album. It's nice to see the interview continues to make its rounds on audio and video. Yeah. So another one I listened to uh, this week was Kiss the Ring by Rome Streets, uh, another Griselda project. Rome is another uh, MC who's become an acquired taste for me. You know, his earlier stuff uh, didn't speak to me in the same way, but he did a joint record. It was Rome Streets and uh, Ransom, right? Yeah, yeah, Rome Street and Ransom. And that one, like, for me was like, wow, okay, it, it, it exposed, it opened my ear up in a completely different way. And this Griselda album, uh, Kiss the Ring, is a, a strong follow-up for him. You know, it's got uh, Gun is on it, Westside Gun, um, Conway is on it, um, Armani, Caesar, Armani Caesar is on it. Stove God is dope. He's another one. Like, you know, when that first album, when the album came out um, a couple years ago that everyone loved, um, it hadn't resonated with me yet, but everything he's released since then has just been like super dope. He's one of my favorite new MCs. Um, another great addition to Griselda, man. Did, have you, did you get a chance to check that one out yet? Yeah, I listened when it dropped and I really like the way it opens. And I'm, I really, you know, have been a fan of Rome. Shout out to Jordan Commandeer, who, you know, one of our writers through the 2018, 19, 20 days of Ambrosia for Heads. And he made me a fan of Rome. And to watch his trajectory um, and really set himself apart. And he's a type of artist too, that hasn't been overexposed. So to hear his story, I believe he was born in Germany and, you know, immigrated to Brooklyn, but has a really interesting life. And when you learn more about him, you appreciate the fact that he's many things. He's not just a hustler, not just like, you know, uh, a New York, you know, rapidy rap cat. And this album and this association with Griselda I hope opens a lot of folks up to him. I've been a fan of him. He has a joint. It's one of his biggest called Nautica 96 Windbreaker, I think. I, I might have muffled the title. But that ever since then, man, he's just been one to watch for me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, YG dropped an album. I got issues. I've never been biggest YG fan, but uh, I listened to the whole thing and found myself enjoying uh, more than I, I thought I would. You know, like three, like three or four joints really spoke to me. Did you check that one out? Yeah, absolutely. I did. Um, you know, and I, I will say, I mentioned it earlier in the pod, but like uh, my crazy life, I really, you know, I thought that that was one of, I would say I like that album more than anything that Jeezy's put out on his own label. And that was because I was back in CTE. YG is an important part of that West Coast story. So I, I have been a fan and the new one sounded like he's back in fighting condition again, which is great. 
Um, been checking that. I checked uh, Young RJ from the latest iteration of Slum Village. He has an album called War- World Tour. Pete Rock's on it. Pino Palladino. Um, I believe uh, Boldy James. Just a, a, a uh, Eric Roberson. There's been a host of people. Yeah, Boldy is definitely on it. That and then Sonny Jim, who's a London-based rapper, working with or MC, working with DJ Premier and Mad Lib, and him and the Purist teamed up for an album called White Girl Wasted. We've got a joint on our playlist that has Jay Electronica and Doom from that. I've really enjoyed that, and just been trying to open myself up to just more global hip hop in general. But there's one other project I just want to mention in brief because it's been out a long time. But as we march towards the end of the year, it's something that I would encourage anyone who believes in our platform to check out. And that's JID or JIDS, the forever story. Um, Truly one of the best albums this year. And I will go on record and saying it is the best album that he's put out thus far. Oh yeah. I I completely co-sign that. It's top two for me. That and, um, and Mr. Morale are my two favorites um, so far this year. You know, two other albums that I was excited about over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one is Soul Sold Separately, which is Freddie Gibbs' new album. I think mm-hmm. it's Freddie's best work in many years. Um, he's got a couple joints on the on the playlist. One is called CIA. Um, it's called Crack Instagram and... Um, uh what's the a for it's not uh, that or all attention no crack instagram and it's 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 a it's a it's a uh cool um um anagram for um what what he thinks the cia oh and aids as 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 introduced uh to uh decimate communities but uh it's tongue-in-cheek but also very clever and sharp and commentary um, and there's also a song um, called Rabbit Vision, where Freddie shows a lot of growth. You know, he, he he acknowledges recently that he and Jeezy saw each other in the airport, dapped each other up and had a great exchange and really kind of ended their beef. And on the song, he acknowledges that it, a lot of their problems stem from his own immaturity and that he really appreciates the game that Jeezy gave him and teaching him about you know the, the the music business and how to become a rapper and so forth. And so great to see uh, his growth on that. The other one was, uh, and I've never been a huge Kid Cudi fan, but Intergalactic, um, his soundtrack to the Netflix uh, um, animated film, I think is some of his best work in a long, long time too. Um, you know, it's very cohesive. Uh, it's more accessible than a lot of Cuddy's music has been in quite some time, but I thought both those projects were, were really strong too. I need to check the Cuddy album in, at length. You uh, you sent me a song or two and I checked that and I thought that it was it was better than even what I'd heard over the last three, four years. So I, I will do that this week for sure. Yeah, yeah. So yo, um, anything else you got? Nah, man, I think that, that really covers it. it. Like I said at the top, man, it, it I, I missed this. Yeah, for sure, man. Me too. Great week in hip-hop. Always great to chop it up with you about it. And um, song of the day. I mean, song of the week. You got a song of the week? Yeah, I mean, we talked. I could have picked from any number of those albums we spoke about. I'll give it to um, a project that I didn't mention. Soul Messiah, part of the Rhyme Sayers crew, has been Sawrock's longtime, not just DJ, but producer. And he put out a compilation album with a number of people on it 
called God Complex. Um, Evidence is on it. Um, you know, Sarok, of course, uh, just a host of people. And he's got to join there with Planet Asia called Sunday School. And since today is Sunday and, uh, you know, this this feels like education, I'll go with that joint. Where are you? For me, I'm, I'm going to go back to last night, man. I enjoy that concert so much. I'm going to go to Quantum Leap from Alchemist and, and Rock Marciano, the elephant's bone, elephant man's bones. Uh, that, that joint goes hard. So love that one. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I need to revisit that album, man. Well, hopefully we will get Al, if not Al and Rock on the show. Um, I look forward to it. And yeah, man, I I hope to see them on uh, on the road for this album, man. But yeah, until we sure. do it again. Word, man. Peace. Likewise, man. Peace. <laughs>